Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. So studios in Dublin, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Dar Hushay. And I'm surprised by the fact that I had to take a full part in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm Pather O'Connor. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I should swipe in either. I'm Garrodine McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I couldn't point at you, Garrodine, so that's why we were well, we did. bring you in that he way. pointed at Helsinki. He just pointed in the general direction of Helsinki, and lo and behold, there you were. Garrodine, what's better, Turku or Helsinki? Um, well, I'm in neither of those places now, but thanks anyway. <laughs> um, I would say probably, I'm going to have to say Turku. I prefer Turku to Helsinki. Helsinki's nice. There's more amenities there. But like Turku is like Cork. Um, it's like the Finnish Cork. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so I love it. <laughs> Every country has a Cork. <laughs> yeah, and it's Turku. <laughs> and people who've never lived there don't love it. They're like, oh, it's shit. And I'm like, that's because you've not lived there. It's the same as Cork. <laughs> It's but. the Paris of the North. <laughs> <laughs> oh, famously so, yes, yes. Uh, Paris of Europe. So, um, uh, we, um, Garajin and Pada, we have a very special guest in the studio today. Yay! And okay, we, we have, we've talked a little bit about publishing in, our, in Ireland recently and publishing the Irish language, but we haven't had a writer in some time. And we are delirious and excited to welcome Saif Devlin. Hi, Gaktina. Welcome in, Saif. It's great to have you. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah. Saif, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay, so um, I'm from Bray. Uh, wasn't Toka la Gwaelga, so have all my Gwaelga from Nínra right up to Gwael School and beyond into university. Um, started writing always and wrote and wrote and wrote all through. Had a blog, this, that and the other. And eventually had a creative writing class um, where I was happily writing away in English. The teacher asked me, oh, have you never written as Gaelga? And I said, do you know what? No, I haven't. That's my second language. I wouldn't really be able for that. Uh, creatively anyway, like I couldn't imagine myself doing it. But it the kind of that lodged in my brain. And then I started trying it and then... Now I have books. Yeah. <laughs> books Oscar for the harshest audience of all. You are a children's author. Yes. So, so far I've had two um, picture books published. I don't do the drawings uh, much as I'd love to be able to, but I, but that means I get to work with amazing illustrators. And you're right, mm. children will tell you straight out whether they like it or whether they don't like it or whether they think that page is ridiculous or, you know, if down to the minutest detail, I don't like their name, you know, they'll tell mm. you straight out. So, yeah, they're a tough audience. But I love that. I love that honesty and that straight talking. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Would you tell us what your books are called? Okay, so my yeah. first book is called Be Exprilum, uh, Come Play With Me. And it's a story about a little girl called Luna. And Luna really wants to play uh, with her mom. And uh, 
I guess it's kind of a true story because it's all about the guilt tripping mm. <laughs> as a parent when you've, you're really, really busy and you, you'd love to be playing with your kid, but really, realistically, you don't have time and you'd kind of fob them off. I'll be there in two minutes. Just a minute. One more minute. <laughs> yes. And eventually, uh, so Luna's kind of left her own device for a while and she has, tries to come up with a few inventions to get her mum to play with her. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> then we can't spoil the ending, right? We, yeah, no, I won't spoil the ending. Spoil the ending right? It's available in all good bookstores. <laughs> it is. That's something that it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently because I know there was um, a, a, a friend of mine was mentioning that when he's, he'd been talking to his father that his, the reason his father stopped smoking was any time he had drawn a picture of his daddy, the daddy always had a cigarette in his hand. Oh, oh. God, wow. And oh. I've been thinking about this recently because uh, La Serena, when she's running around the house, she's all, like, she's very interested in our phones. And whenever she gets the phone, she's walking around holding the phone to her going, bah, 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 da, 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 Because mm. uh, I, 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 and... I possibly think yes to that. The children will always do what they say, but they'll do what you do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Friend of mine, friend of mine was saying just the other day, she realised her one and a half year old um, woke up and got up and went over and grabbed Mammy's phone and brought it over to Mammy and <gasps> handed it to her because that's what Mammy does first thing in the morning: check yeah. the phone. And so my friend is is a politician. She's constantly on the phone, constantly getting messages. But she said it really inspired her to just you know what this weekend the phone's going off. Yeah, I'll check it maybe three times. I yeah. don't get back to anything urgent. But no, this is about me and and the baby for the for the weekend. I'm not gonna. And I thought that was lovely, but it did take that that little moment of. Yeah, they doing? hold up a mirror to you in a way that, you know, other grown-ups will kind of dance around and not tell you yeah. it's straight and they just have this way of doing it. But like my kids now use my book against me. Like if I'm now fobbing... <laughs> 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 so if I'm now fobbing them off and they're like, you're just like the mom and big spree <laughs> So... <laughs> oh, you'll play so, with well. Luna, but you won't yeah. play with me. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of backfired. <laughs> But I think that's so nice. I think it goes back to that that same idea, like you said earlier, about like the honesty of kids, like that if like they have no preconceptions about anything. So like if you're doing something, they're going to do it back to you, like and don't care how how that's going to make you feel, like make you realize that like oh I'm on my phone all the time or whatever it is. The same with like their honesty about a book. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also you see that in like how much they enjoy like. It's just pure, when they do enjoy a book, like a child will just purely enjoy it. And it's such a wonderful thing to see when a child is like creased laughing at a book or really enjoying a book or wants that book to be read again. Like it's the sweetest thing. They just enjoy it so much. So it just must be such a nice audience to have. At the same time as being harsh, but such a nice audience also. Such a nice audience. They're so up for fun, you see. I I just spend Mm. a lot of time in libraries and in schools doing readings. And it's such a joy because you get that instant feedback. And but also they get to have fun because I'll do little bits of movement or I'll ask them about I'll ask them questions to write and, you know, get them to kind of identify like, yeah. do you have grown ups at home that say I'll be there in a minute all the time? They're like, oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like she knows my life. Yeah. So it's really funny when they identify with that. I love it. <laughs> so tell us about your second book. The second book is called Bugbidach. Um, and it's about a little girl called Nina and Nina has a little brother called Jimmy. So um, Jimmy kind of wants to play with her and she's a bit fed up because she wants to play on her own. So her favourite toy. I see, I see you learned your lesson because Luna didn't want to play on her own. Like, Next <laughs> yes. time I write a little girl, that bitch is going to be able to play on her own. We actually had a joke about that when we were trying to come up with the title because, you know, you often have a working title and then you come mm. up with the actual title. So the, um, we actually had an in, an in joke with the publisher um, that we were going to call it Nobby Sprulo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't play with me. And it kind of fits. So, um, so uh 
Nina has a favourite toy, like a lot of kids do, and her favourite toy is her dolls and her dollhouse. So she wants to be Bjog Biduk so she can go and live with her dolls in her doll's house and without Jimmy, so Jimmy can't kind of annoy her. Mm-hmm. So um, mm. so she she manages to do that. <gasps> so... She, Amazing. Yeah. Dreht. Dreht. Kind of dreht. But sort of, I think the inspiration for that book was actually Where the Wild Things Are by Mara Sendak. And just that idea of a child going into their imagination and into that sort of world that we as adults, we forget to how to get there. You know, they're really, mm. really immersed in that world. And I think that was one of the big inspirations for that book. And then... Um, also, the fact that it was one of my greatest desires as a child <laughs> to, to be, be able to be teeny tiny, yeah, to be Pierre What was your favourite toy? Was it a doll? Was it it was, yeah. My uncle made me this uh, dollhouse. Now, it was for my Sylvanians. The Sylvanians were really, Sylvanian families were prohibitively expensive in the 80s, uh, mm. for my family anyway. And um, I had a few figurines, but my uncle actually made me like a wooden version of the houses, oh. which I still have and it's still like really well made. So it's in perfect condition. My, my daughters play with it now. But um, I used to like lie in bed every night going, oh, I wish I was teeny tiny. I wish when I open my eyes, I'm going to be in that dollhouse with my Sylvanians. Oh my God, I love this. <laughs> I, I'm relating so hard to this. Like, I, I know this is supposed to be about your books, but let's talk more about Sylvanian families. <laughs> I still collect them. <laughs> Oh my God, I love them. I, I, listen, anybody who, you want a good time, you want some pure internet content, follow the Sylvania yes. family's Twitter page. Yes. Like, oh. It is just yeah. pure, like, goodness, adorable content. Like, it's so heartwarming yeah. and sweet. Like, and every now and then they give away shit and I'm, I'm entering yeah. that like nobody's business. Like, yeah, they're so gorgeous. It started off when Gary and you were talking, they sounded like toilet graffiti for a good time, Cole. Sylvania, Sylvania. Do you know what, though? There is actually... Uh, a kind of risque version someone using Sylvanian families doing naughty things no, no. yeah oh, we cannot no. be ha- what's the URL we cannot ha- no oh, where so can I find it's a Twitter that? feed it's a Twitter feed I think it's like Forest no. Family or something like it's that I can't remember I haven't no looked at it in a while because it would soil my eyes is, but uh, what yeah. sociopaths would do that is it, total, is it, total tangent but there's a fantastic oh website called The Brick Testament where people reenact Bible verses using Lego figures Oh, wow. Absolutely. Particularly oh, when it gets that. to like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, where they start talking about the laws of the ancient Hebrews and what people could get stoned for. And you got the guys throwing they have the little, the circular <laughs> yeah, one, yeah, yeah. one piece that uh, <laughs> looks a little bit like a rock and they're throwing it at other Lego men. It's hilarious. It's a similar thing, but just uh, little cute creatures doing really dodgy things. I loved, I loved <laughs> Sylvanian families when, when, when I was a kid because my cousins had them. So it was great to play with them. But like you say, they were prohibitively expensive. The closest yeah. I ever got was like to look at the Argos catalogue yeah. and use my imagination <laughs> yeah. about the Sylvanian families that were there. Yeah. That was my childhood. Thanks, <laughs> oh. Dad. <laughs> I tell you. I had some Sylvanian families, but I think I w- it was later. I was like older when I when I got them, like like because they were too when like were good quality like and expensive 22. for a reckless child. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> yes, I still have them now. But they one last of my forever. friends, like one of my friends, had older sisters and older cousins who like had had mm. a collection of them. So she had this. To me, it seemed like a theme park of Sylvanian family like worlds, but it was probably like three like separate houses. Like, but to me, it was like the most amazing thing. So I used to love going to her house to play with her Sylvanian families. She had a, she had an amazing collection of Barbies as well. 
by virtue of having older sisters and stuff. But, but with, um, with, with Barbies, with, with Sylvanian families, and when I was growing up, it was toy soldiers. It was green army oh, men, yeah. green oh, yeah. plastic army men, and then some tin soldiers that I got from, from relatives and all that. It's all about imagination. Yeah. It's all about yeah. building this world. Uh, you know, like there's a brilliant poem I you know, grew up reading the, the Land of Counterpain. It's about a boy yeah. who's sick and imagining hills and villages mm-hmm. right there on his bedspread because he can't leave the bed. And how do you tap into that? How do you put that onto paper, that world of imagination? Because obviously what, what you think up and what you and when you work with an illustrator, you have another imagination there as well. Yes. So how do you try and capture a generic, there's no such thing as a generic child, obviously, but a generic child's imagination on paper. Well, I think you don't really go for the generic child. I think that's the the thing you tap into your own or like watching my children. Like the first book was inspired by a conversation my daughter and I had. And then the second one was very much a memory of my own. And I think finding something that's authentic, that's real is the only way to do it because I think there's so many of those books that you find and they're just the generic story but they don't do very well and they don't they're mm. not classics they're not not that I'm saying my books are future classics or anything but uh, um, current classics cur- current classics, current classics. <laughs> <laughs> yes well the second one did get nominated for a Children's Books Ireland uh, shortlisted for an award yes. so book of the year award so we didn't right, win okay. I don't like being in a room where I'm actually outnumbered <laughs> my celebrated authors <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yes, current classic. It's in the top ten in Ireland at the moment. I guess. Amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and like that's. And a the, ma- that, let's be fair. That's a big market. There's a lot of stuff out there for kids. Like there's yes, a lot it's of books huge. Out there this is something I wanted to really ask you because I, when I started, kind of the, the Irish Four and the Mother Folklore, people were saying, "Oh, you should knock out an old kids book." I mean, you know, anyone. This, my 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 daughter has all these kids books, and most of them are shite. Mm. And you know, <laughs> any any old age. And I was like, no, it's it's kids are so particular about yeah. what's what's good and what isn't and there's just the perception that anyone can knock out a kid's book per- perpetuated by certain celebrity authors uh, who have yeah. name recognition yeah. yes Na- I mean I would, coaches would, would, <laughs> yeah um, so obviously the, 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 celeb- <laughs> the celebrity children's author thing bit of a bit of a problem it can be because I think it swamps other work that's coming out that may, is equally good or sometimes and sometimes an awful lot better. And I think because they have that platform, um, you know, it just makes it harder for everybody else because it does drown out and people will know their names. And uh, you know, even if they're not celebrities to current children, their parents will know the names and they'll go, "Oh yeah, he was funny on the telly." I'll buy yeah. this. Bo- he must be funny for kids. I'll buy that yeah. book for my kids. Because you know? my daughter hasn't heard of B. J. Novak. Like okay. my daughter doesn't watch The Office. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, or exactly. But you're gonna go. Oh, he's a cool guy who makes funny comedy. I'll buy that book. Yeah. I think his book's very good, though. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so do you, do you just you look at these celebrity children's authors and you just do your best Bane impression, like you think the children are your ally? <laughs> Not really. I think there's room for you know there's room for everybody. It's all different yeah. slices of the pie, and you just do your own thing because I think if you're trying to compare yourself, it's just the death of creativity. The, the test, I think, that someone else had mentioned is that real children's authors are always talking about how much they love kids' books, always recommending other children's authors they yes. love, whereas this, often the celebrity children's authors only talk about themselves. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, and you would read widely. Like, mm-hmm. one of my favourite things to do is my girls um, go to Brownies on a Tuesday evening and it's like an hour and 15 minutes, which is like the weirdest length class ever. Oh. But um, the library is right across the road and it's open late that day. So I... 
uh, go to the library and I just take like a stack of picture books and I just sit and will read for that hour as many picture books. And I'm sitting, everyone else is studying and like doing really complicated looking things and I've just got this like, <laughs> stack like, the library to my is like right, <laughs> yeah. Here's the poor creator back. She's, <laughs> she's, she's, not, she's, not, she's not great at the reading. She does the picture books there every... <laughs> Every week she comes in. I'm not sure if she has the reading. <laughs> I know. That's literally what I fear. <laughs> like, mm. You know, Nala have a class, you know, if you're, if you're interested. You have it on I a know. Wednesday night there if you're not good with the reading. I, that's exactly what it looks like. But I don't care because I love reading them. And, you find, and you know, you'll read good ones, you'll read bad ones, you'll be reading between ones, you'll read ones that blow your mind and you wish you could write that well. And um, But I think it's really important to know what's out there. And, know, and then mm. so you don't just fabricate the same story again you know are there kind of universal elements to, to, to stories though because when you look at simple stories the stories that we all grew up with like even mythology there's mm. an awful lot been written about how basically there is one monomyth yeah, and we all is. sort of slap into it is there one Absolutely. Joseph Campbell style one single children's story that everything sort of slots in and out of or are there, there common is. tropes there's there's a common there's like a it's almost like a formula for picture books so um, there's 32 pages in a picture book. Oh. The story happens over 12 double spreads. Um, in it, you have your hero. You've got your problem. You might have your rule of three where three things happen or they try three different things to solve the problem or change their situation. There'll be the twist and then the, there has to be like a satisfying ending. Mm. So the ending, it doesn't yeah. that doesn't mean necessarily that it's a happy ending or a sad ending or in anything. It has just to just to be resolve the story. a res resolution. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the formula, which sounds really simple and basic. And then you try and make it. But then you have to make that in, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> You can fit anything around that, though. I mean, that that's a formula. Okay, that's fine. But like, yeah. that's that's infinite. Like, when you think about maybe the, the picture books that you remember reading or the ones that you read to your own kids, like, like that probably fits to most of them. But like, mm. the possibilities are endless. Like, they are exactly. And it's finding that and it's finding that different take and that different yeah. way of looking at it. So the first, my first book, there is so many books about children who want to play with their parents and busy parents mm. and the other. There's millions of them out there. But you have to find something Un in a unique way to tell that story and not just have it in Osgoelga. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is Osgoelga and, and that's Osgoelga. important. And what, what, what's mm -hmm. the what's the scene like? What's the market like? I have picture books and books at home for for my kid. He can't read yet, but I read them to him and I, I love reading ones that are Osgoelga. It's, it's a scene, I suppose, it's growing. I'm certainly noticing more, yeah. maybe because I'm a recent parent, but I think, I think it is a burgeoning sort of scene. I yeah. think it's, uh, there's always, yeah, it's definitely a scene and it's, it, I think it's nice because I think I've, okay, so I've worked in the Irish language since I left university and I worked with uh, families who are speaking Irish at home or trying to speak Irish at home or wondering how they even start with the basics of using a tiny cupola focal at home. And over the, the years, there's been so many more. I mean, it's not humongous uh, in terms of publications, but it's um, it's so much better now. And the quality of stuff is getting better and better and better. And it holds up to an international standard, definitely. The mm. Irish language books mm. that are being published now are of an international standard that any publisher in the world would publish, if you know what I mean. Well, this is, again, the great thing about talking about kids' books is that they 
don't think yours is special because it's Irish. Yes. They think it's special because yeah. it's good. And mm-hmm. they'll they'll be right up and tell you, like, no, that, that was crap. I don't care what language it was in. Yes. I don't care that it's yeah. in the minority language you're trying to raise me through, Daddy. Yes. <laughs> this is a shit book and yeah. I don't want to read it again. I know. And I think compared to books that I would have had as a child when there wasn't so much of a scene and everything was being imported from Russia and other Eastern European countries, probably because they were cheap to get them in. And they were not really picture books, even though they had pictures in them. They were like illustrated stories. And the Irish was really government government issue. Like it was oh. really, un, you know, mm. and I just never really liked them. Loved Bran. We had Bran oh, and, you know, yeah. you know, perfect. And there was a couple of things I liked, um, but they were all just a bit weird yeah. and they weren't really. It was kind of when we, we got to, when we got to grail school age, when we, when we went to the grail school, yeah. um, we had uh, Lulu, Nelly, Mickey, August Rira. Yeah. That was when shit got real. Man. I love that. That was engaging characters, yeah. overcoming problems, seeking resolutions. Yes. Finally. Yes. Like, finally. This is nice this is big good. print so we can read it. <laughs> There's one book uh, I really enjoy reading to my son. I don't know if you've seen it. It's Abiter by Renee Mullen. It's just an illustrated alphabet and it's gorgeous. But uh, yeah, the, the problem is that like everything is perfect except for G. G is for Gavlog, and I would never have a Gavlog oh. in my house. I'd have a fork. Okay. Fork. Oh, okay, fork. I yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's mm. a fork. So I'm reading this to my son. who's going like, you know, mm. you know, F is for Fuenyo. There's so and many G things. G is for fork. Yeah. yeah. G. Sorry, Gavlog. I've never heard or that. Ga- no. Or Gavlog. Gavlog. So Gav. Yeah. Well, not not Gluston. Okay. No, no, no Gluston. We're not starting that shit again. Or Gatha. Yeah, that could have been listen, we can, we can. The, Swedish, <laughs> the Swedish for fork is Gaffel, so that, oh. I'm just enjoying that. But I've never, like, sorry, that's not the Irish fork. The Irish fork is fork. It's fork. Like. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. But it's still a beautiful book. It's still a lovely little piece of, of just mm. a nice little educational yeah. res- resource, but it's just fun because the pictures are beautiful. And it's beautiful, exactly. And I think that's the thing with picture books. It's really the first... Um, it's the first access a child will have to art in a lot of ways. Mm. So they deserve to have really high quality art. And I've had the pleasure of working with two amazing illustrators so far, Tercilla Cruz uh, for BX Brilum. And she is from Brazil, Ohus, but she's living in Dublin now and she's learning Irish actually. Oh, so, oh wow. Yes. And she's brilliant. That's she's amazing. Such a beautiful book. Like, yeah, she's and fantastic. Gorgeous. There's a mythical country across the sea in Irish mythology called Brazil. And the surname uh, yeah. Brazil comes from that. And but it's, and it just happens that Brazil was a coincidence, and oh, no, wow. no one knows how this all got, got happened. We're, we're going to do a deep dive on that someday. Oh, it was damn. the it was the Amazons. Oh well, ask her to oh. come in and Nahanik Nah Amazonic. They came over to play Camogie against Emmett Gales uh, way back. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so. I'm aware of that, and there's a surname Brazil as well. There is indeed. Yeah. So that's uh, there's nothing to do with the country. And the other illustrator you worked with for Bug is Roisin Hahasi, who is from Tullamore, uh, but lives in Brazil. <gasps> what? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I know. Pure fluke. I enjoy that. <laughs> yes, I enjoy it. Isn't lot. that nice? <laughs> Neither of them known for their hurling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that was just absolute fluke, but amazing. I love that kind of. That's remarkable. Yeah, that's isn't it strange? A little bit magical. Yeah. So and what's the process like then? Do you write the story fully formed and then go, you find an illustrator and you say, here's what I have in mind, have at it? Or do you sort um, of... So I would write the story and then I would send it to the publisher and they'd say, 
no, I don't like that one. Come back again. <laughs> Come back again with another idea. And you do that a few times. Um, and then you eventually hit on something and they say yes. And um, so he would find the illustrator, the author of a picture book generally has absolutely no say in who illustrates their books. Okay. Oh. So publisher handles that because the publisher may already have a relationship with various illustrators or may uh, and and then if you're a new author especially because they're taking a risk on you yeah. essentially you can't um, call the shots you, you can't know. call any shots and I think probably you can't call any shots in general like unless you're like Julia Donaldson or something and they, they just they're like she's already got a couple of packages with a couple of illustrators but um yeah, so then the illustrator goes to work and that's the longest part of the process because it's humongous. You're talking about 12 double spreads, full colour, like it's it's a big amount well, of work. It'll take a day or two, all right. It yeah. just certainly <laughs> does. And then... Uh, we have it done by five or should we... Will I, will I order Chinese? Will we, we hang out? Will we wait? Yeah, 24 hours a day probably for a long time. A few months anyway, about three, four months. Wow. Um, and then... Uh, generally, again, the author doesn't get a say in the illustration and it would mostly be handled by the publisher um, and they would be the ones to feedback and say, no, I don't like that. Can you change the expression on that face or whatever it is? Um, I was very fortunate in that I'd be quite an, an arty and kind of visual person myself. So Tyg, uh, my publisher from Fata Fata, uh, let, uh, let me have input. So um, This is the great Tyg... This is great, Tyg McGonagall, absolutely. Uh, or, uh, the scriptwriter behind Afric, yes. among other things. Yes. Uh, a huge... The musical genius behind Raftery Aram Underground. <laughs> <laughs> the musical genius full stop of yeah. all the children's rhymes. I mean, yeah, yes. a, a major figure in, yeah. in, um, in pop culture of Skelga. Yes, he's incredible. And I always wanted to work with him. And I was very fortunate that he picked me up. So, yeah, so I had originally, when, when that creative writing teacher had said to me, oh, uh, why don't you ever write in Osquilga? And I was like, ah, nah, sure, Jesus, wouldn't be able to, the, to do that. And um, But a kind of that little grain stuck there and I said, well, I might try writing Osquilga, but it would have to be non-fiction. Like, it would have to be kind of something factual. I don't think I could, you know, use my imagination <laughs> in Irish or something. Mm. And so I sent... We are a famously unimaginative <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know what the the box there was, considering I started as now I didn't I didn't have Irish at home, but I started in Nino when I was like two and a half or something. So and all the way up and all through college, and then worked all my life as Gaelga and spoke Irish every single day. So I don't know why I had such you know fear behind it. But anyway, I said I'll write something nonfiction. And on my blog, my English language blog, I had been writing different craft projects for kids, and I said I'll pitch a craft book. Uh, to him so I didn't really do my homework properly because he came back to me and said nah, no we don't really do those kind of books <laughs> so um, do you want to if you have any picture book ideas send me a picture book idea and I said oh great yeah I have small kids I read picture books all day every day I, I still have loads of my own from when I was a kid I'm a big fan of picture books so I set, sent him um, uh, an idea and he said just send me a synopsis of an idea so I sent him a, a 900 word synopsis now bearing in mind <laughs> how many most, words are in the picture book yeah like around 500 <laughs> <laughs> so he's and like then, yeah as we turn to page four 
We see the hero's face. <laughs> yes, basically. So very mm. long-winded, terrible synopsis. And he was like, if you can't like synopsis, synopsize, yeah. if you can't tell the story in like a line, uh, this yeah, this is not going to work. He said, but he recommended me different resources and different books to read. He was like the kindest. So he's so generous with his knowledge and with his experience. And he would he told me what to read and how to find out more. And he said, and come back to me if you're interested. So it was through learning more. And then I did a great thing, which is available to anyone who writes Osgwelga for any genre. Uh, First Nguelga have uh, a thing called Shkame na Nidi, which is like a mentoring uh, course kind of thing, I suppose, where they pair you up with somebody who is further ahead in their career writing wow. And oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And you spend was, a year. So Tig was my idiot. Oh, <laughs> get in. Nothing but that. <laughs> now he's under no obligation. I mean, I could have been crap, you know. Um, but I was well, lucky realize, that one, I was this crap woman, for ages. This woman who writes boring synopses actually has a good idea yes. there somewhere. Eventually, eventually I got a good idea toward like the last bit of the whole year. He said, that one, that's the one. We're going to do that one. So, um, yeah, so I was really lucky. So that was my in, I suppose, um, to the world of publishing. That's but I'd recommend that incredible. because it's amazing because you, you have con- you feedback for a whole year on yeah. anything you're writing. Yeah. And they say everyone has a book in them, don't they? They, they do. say that. They do. You've had two, Derek's had two. <laughs> Unfortunately, that screws the average for me and Dardy. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have to sadly remain bookless in order to keep it at one per person. I'm on a never-ending book I'll die before that ever comes out of me I'll just be one of those sad people I know you'll do it you'll do it do it for yourself even I think that's the thing you just do it do it for yourself and keep going oh yeah the published authors in the room telling us to self-publish yeah (laughs) no not even to (laughs) self-publish just write it for yourself because you have to write the story you want to tell and it doesn't you know and that's the one you get out of your system I still write other stuff for myself that I may never try and get published it's just there because you've ideas I've got, I've got one of those too one that'll never be seen it's like uh, sometimes when I have writer's block one of the ways around it is to write something really really bad intentionally bad and then you actually realise you can't stop yeah, writing it, and then someone starts looking good ah very yeah, but good. then they went it's and published exercise. it <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm only kidding award winning author it's okay it's okay <laughs> no I, I've done some fatal deviation fan fiction oh god <laughs> Oh, wow. here, no, gonna, Are you familiar with Fatal Reed. Deviation? I'm not Fatal you're Deviation. I know really what fan fiction is. <laughs> fatal Deviation is Ireland's premier martial arts movie. As in, I think it's Ireland's only yeah. martial arts movie. It is... It's uh, it's in that territory of the room and other movies that are so bad. That's, it's that's brilliant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So mm-hmm. yeah, Fatal Deviation. It's entirely filmed and set in uh, Trim, Trim County oh. Meath. <laughs> oh, the hub of, of martial Kung arts. Fu, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ireland's Tai Chi and Kung Fu capital. <laughs> Trim, Kundalini. That the one with one of the lads from Boyzone in yes. it. Yeah. Oh, and okay. Wow. Yeah. That's M- the one Mikey Graham wants is... to do. Yeah. Yeah, we we got to do a live viewing of that. Like. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Mikey Graham is the villain, but the opening credits. I guess he's thought these songs brought it. It says, you know, and Mikey Graham from Irish rock band Boyzone. Oh yeah, no, that's mm. pushing it. I love that. Rock out. <laughs> I love the way that whoever made that film had obviously not only never heard of Boyzone, but had obviously also never seen a kung fu movie in their entire life. <laughs> but the. Um, but no, no you know that Mikey Graham had that in his writer. Like he's like, I'm not partaking in this film unless I'm called a rock star. Like there's no way I'm taking part in this film unless oh, I get to be a rock be star. It. Yeah, nailed on. You have to call us a rock band. <laughs> All right, <laughs> fine. We wore leather once. <laughs> <laughs>
When it comes to understanding political issues, I am a self-confessed toddler. That's why I've enlisted the help of Steve, my politically savvy drinking buddy, to help me better understand politics. Every couple of weeks, we get together and record on topics like what is the politics of language, what is Watergate, how the internet is killing democracy. We take these big issues and we break them down into silly little comedic bite-sized bits. If you like the sound of that, then search for What Am Politics in your podcast app of choice or find us here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. There are some reviewers even of books who won't review. Now, most are fine. But yeah. There's a couple who, even if you give, and actually when their copies of the books are sent out to review, there would always be an English script yeah. with it because just because we no, don't expect everyone to because some reviewers are monolingual cultural and just, imperialists. And just decide, no, not for me. I can't review that. I can't possibly review it, even though it's in English in black and white in front of me. I can't review it. These so. are the same people that'll happily review a Czech art house film. Probably, at yeah. The lighthouse, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. And you have to see it in the original Czech. Don't, don't, <laughs> go, to, don't go to the dubbed version. That'd be, what's that, Gwelga? I'm not touching that. Yes, yeah. But then you have to think about like who the audience is like because I'm that annoying relative that like so none of the like children in my family speak Irish or none of the like other people in my family yet. would speak Irish to their children <laughs> yet I haven't got a hold of them yet <laughs> but I'm that annoying relative that will always buy them like an Irish language something no matter what it is it's in the Irish language mm-hmm. and I can see the parents rolling their eyes at me because they're like oh yeah okay that's fine that's very sweet and all but I have to read it to them and like, but the kids do not care that it's in Irish they like that one because mm-hmm. there's fun sounds in it and the pictures are cool and their parents are like Fuck, I'd have to read that Irish one again. Like, and I'm like, yes, you do. You're welcome. Like, so Actually, that, that, does, that does raise a really interesting question, though, because you're not marketing it at kids. Obviously, no. it's the kids that have to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But you need to grab the attention of an yes. adult compared Absolutely. to all the other books on the bookshelf. So yes. how, how challenging is that? That it, Well, you're writing, you're literally writing for two audiences. So you are, you are always you have both in mind. So when you're coming up with a story, it has to be something that makes, like that reaction that you guys gave me when I said about being Bjog Bidok, being tiny. Oh my God, yeah, I'd love that. Because we all kind of have memories of that in us, of being small and wishing you could be a thing or, you know, turn into something, press your belly button and turn invisible. Whatever it is, you always have those ideas and you can still identify with them because you're still the same person. And then, but also a child would go, oh, I'd love to do that too. So you're always trying to find something. Obviously, my first book with the parental guilt in it, you know, that's pretty universal. Yeah, that, is, <laughs> Every, that really resonates. Uh, yeah. So that's... <laughs> playing that's, with you in a minute. <laughs> so that was easier to speak to two audiences in terms of your, the mommy just goes, like nearly every parent that I'm at events, family events, whatever, come up to me going, oh, that page with the, you know, the, when she realises, I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know it's a true story. <laughs> and the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> Little boy blue in the Exactly. And then the kids identify with the, the kid trying to get their attention, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, but it is, you do have to have that. And I think books that are less successful don't do that because parents will go, oh, God, I have to read this one again. Do you know But you want the parent to enjoy reading it the 500 nights in a row? Because that's <laughs> yeah. sometimes what happens. <laughs> this is the thing. Generally speaking, yeah, there's a Pareto principle in that you will read kind of a, a, like 20% of a kid's books to them, maybe 80% of the time. The chances are there's a lot of books that you get one chance and then they're, they're, they're chucked yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and then where, and similarly that, like there's certain cartoons that will be watched over and over and over again. And the others don't get an apps, don't get a look in mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Uh, I, when I was a kid, I watched, we had a tape of An American Tale. Oh, yeah. I pretty, oh, much, I I pretty much watched it every single Fievel? year. Five old Moscovitz. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you go I to America, five. <laughs> 
You do. You get obsessed. Streets are paved with cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There are no cats in America. America. <laughs> but I, I watched that. I probably watched that every single Saturday and Sunday morning mm. for about two years. Yeah. It was a tape that my dad's friend had given us. And uh, it was an American tale and then several episodes of the Pink Panther. Cool. Afterwards, to fill up the to get the gap, the blank bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. The there's no point in wasting tape. No, you know? <laughs> absolutely oh, not. You have <laughs> tape. No, you did not waste tape. But also, that when when the the, the the tape recorders came out, you know, there's a, don't tape over my thing. Yes. And one of the first things my father recorded when we got the the tape recording was, it was the the funeral of Cardinal Fier. And we didn't know who Cardinal Fiat was. We knew we got a day off in school because some, yeah, some it was, cardinal died. It was big news. I wrote it in my diary at that age. <laughs> cardinal Fiat died. And I was like, I don't know who it is. But it's when important. Was this? This, this is like 1989. Yeah. Just um, a drill blank. We got it. We got it. Okay, maybe this indicates what kind of school I went to compared to what kind of school I went to. We, we got a half day off when the Birmingham Six were released. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing for Cardinal Fiat. <laughs> So much about who you are at this point. <laughs> I love that. We we got a half day and Seamus Heaney got a Nobel Prize, so that's that's just a different kind of a kettle of fish. Yeah, mm. that's different. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, so Cardinal O'Fierke passed away, and Dad taped it, and Dad said, and Dad didn't um because he put it away. And one day, Cardinal said we wanted to watch something on television. And he said, "Oh, I'll just use this. No one's going to watch this funeral ever again." Oh, there was hell to pay. I'd say. There was hell to pay. Yeah. <laughs> it was a historical moment <laughs> recorded for it wasn't all eternity. Even good, it wasn't even a good funeral. You're the way after because that funeral was like, oh, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely. You, you really felt the priest knew him. Like, <laughs> really felt he knew him now. He wasn't true? just reading off the page. Is that, that ever true? The, uh, we had that. So we had um, American Tale, like that. We had American Tale, um, Fightful Mouskowitz. We had it recorded, but like half of it was like a leash match from 1993 on death. <laughs> so like, I did not know until I was about 20 years old and it was on telly one Christmas. I did not know how Fightful got to America. Like, I did not know that Fightful originated in Russia. I just thought they had cute accents. Like, <laughs> why they were singing it like this. Like, so you, you thought basically... Like, oh my God, he's a little immigrant mouse. Like, now I get it. So you, you thought that Cheddar Plunkett had a starring role in the first half of... Uh... <laughs> yeah! <laughs> wow. Gary, I'm guessing this is, this is one of the matches that Leash actually won, was it? Uh, I think it might have been a match that my dad was actually playing in, so it would have been oh. a junior B leash match. Yeah, yeah. So hurt football, not hurting. Yeah. So I think I can't remember why. Like we'd obviously fast forward through it to get to the match. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had we had one tape for all my dad's TV appearances because he would occasionally play live at three uh, when he was with the Dublin City Ramblers. So we had one tape, and you just it would never be watched again it's for some reason posterity. we were recording these for posterity yeah. I didn't realise that like VHS would become obsolete at some stage I know yeah. I heard a description speaking of cartoon obsessions my daughters are currently really into Steven Universe which is kind of a really quirky really good cartoon I believe actually. it's Totes Woke oh though. it's brilliant it's so good but there's one point where I don't know exactly what the character's doing but one of them says you have to watch this video and he says what's that and uh, she says it's like a DVD but in a box and I was like, that's a really, really good description. <laughs> as an author, actually, that really makes me wonder. As an author, how do you future-proof your book? Because, like, you know, like phones that have cards and are yes. attached to a number pad, that's not a thing kids are going to grow up experiencing, really. No. Uh, so there's a mobile phone in in my book because mommy answers the phone, but it's very nondescript. It's like a 
Okay. Uh, Just a great. black box. That's you know that's up to the illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of that's kind of universal though. You don't want it to absolutely look like a Huawei. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then like the U.S. government kills Huawei <laughs> yes, off, exactly. and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna ever have a Huawei again. It's just a very generic <laughs> shape, uh, just a dark shape. You so better hope mobile phones don't get obsolete. I know. Well, they probably will. We'll all have chips in our brains or something. Oh, oh, that, that'll make that'll make books obsolete as well. So your, your problem won't your problem will be solved then. Isn't it beam it directly to your it's cornea? Your brain. Oh God! So Isn't terrifying. that an in, in the cat in the hat doesn't say he's when they're they're cleaning the house and wasn't it his daddy's seven dollar shoes? I was like, oh, 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 if yeah, I yeah, get, yeah. If I get a pair of shoes for seven <laughs> bucks now. I mean, thanks, pennies. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> in the sales section of pennies. <laughs> it's funny though when, when you when you look at so many films and so many books and so many, where the plot entirely hinges on something that's completely and totally obsolete now. Mm. Like, oh, listen, I literally just finished watching um, with the HBO app, HBO Nordic app, and I just finished watching The Wire. And like, man, is it outdated? Like, yeah, tap like, and pay phones. First of all, there are Americans concerned about privacy, like red flag number one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And like in literally season one, they have typewriters and they're talking about how they might be getting computers soon and they all have pagers. And I'm like, what is this technology? Like, but, like it started in 2002, I think. So it was right after 9-11. Mobile phones, mobile phones were prohibitively expensive in, in the America, States. I remember yeah. this yeah. talking to people, you know, talking to people from the States when I was a teenager. Like I bought my first mobile phone with a pay packet from the pub I was working in when I was 16. Yeah. So I went down and bought a Philips Savvy. Oh, nice. Uh, absolutely. I had an Alcatel. An Alcatel. <laughs> Old school, <laughs> and uh, and I remember talking to people online because you'd go into these chat rooms on Microsoft and talk to people from all over the world when the internet was new and shiny. Mm -hmm. and I was like, "Yeah, I got a mobile phone." I was like, "Oh my god, how can you afford a mobile phone?" I was like, "Cause I'm not a yank." Yeah, like, <laughs> everyone had pagers when I was there in the late '90s, early 2000s, mm -hmm. and I had a pager actually. You had a pager. I had a pager when I was in sixth year and first year. That's so cool. <laughs> it's the big thing was was it a mini call? It was. Oh, I don't know what it was. It was useless. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's because you'd nobody ringing you. Yeah, like. my parents going, call home. You've been in college for three days and we haven't seen you. <laughs> in America at the time, I remember the late 90s, because I was looking at the word, the, the origin of text as a verb and for my second book. And one of the things was that local calls were free in America. Yes. So this this space, this really kind of restricted the early growth of mobile phones compared to in Ireland mm -hmm. when... Um, when I suppose it was it was fairly easy. There was kind of one, there was initially one supplier, then the, we had kind of a, a small market. But then the it also cost money to receive a text message in America. Oh, so wow. if someone sent yeah. you six texts in a row, they, 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 it was going to cost you money to read them. Whereas it was free to dial and to receive on yeah. a local, a, yeah. you know, a non-long distance. We used to, you could go into like a cafe and say, can I use your phone to make a local call? And they'd let you. And what you'd do is you would leave, you'd leave uh, answer phone messages and then your friend would ring their phone and you could hack in you'd like you could access your voicemails mm -hmm. from your phone oh. so that was how you just leave voice messages for each other really really like loads of effort but but free and completely yeah. and totally obsolete now because everyone yeah. is mobile so like the, yeah. the yeah. entire idea like I think literally every episode of Seinfeld revolves around, oh my God, I can't believe you left a message on a ransom phone. I know. Like we no have to get into our house and delete a ransom phone. Oh. <laughs> Nobody leaves mess voice messages. <laughs> right? No one listens to them anyway. <laughs> you left me a voice message? Are you a psychopath? No. <laughs> you know but, I'm not going to listen to that, right? <laughs> but, but this is actually why more and more crime stories are set in the past. 
uh, why ah, we have more deep yeah. dive old crime stories. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. things like West Cork and, and Serial are so popular. And even when No Country for Old Men came out, they said that actual modern, it's very hard to make a, a, a standard satisfying police thriller using modern technology because uh, because the police took so, so much information in people's lives now. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's terrifying, even like... Um, so you have to go back to when they weren't as good at catching criminals. <laughs> well, there wasn't as much evidence, uh, yeah. I suppose, or evidence was easier done away with. But even during the 90s, when it's like, okay, we need we need to keep, keep him on the line for two minutes so we can, we can yeah, find yeah, out yeah, what he's called. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's getting off at 159, <laughs> boys. He's getting off... Lads, sure. he's getting off... Just hang up now. He's getting off one... It's a payphone anyway. It's a payphone anyway. The actual use of Google or of, of payphones, because obviously I'm living in Finland now where they've had Nokia for such a long time that like payphones have not existed. Like there aren't in Finland anymore. They do not exist here. So my other half always finds a gas when he sees those like old telecom air and payphones in Ireland when he comes to Ireland. He's like, oh my God, like nostalgia. <laughs> like, but it's just so weird to see people actually using them. And I'm like, where would they even get change for a payphone nowadays? I use my tap on my card all the time. Like, how do people exist in this world? They have to carry around coins. They have no phone. <laughs> they have to use a pay They have to remember numbers. What oh, yeah, no. like? yeah, I remember reading a thriller. I can't remember who wrote it. It may have been a Jeffrey Archer book, but they identified a body as an FBI agent because he had a roll of quarters in his pocket and every FBI agent had a roll of quarters because uh, they needed to use payphones to phone the field office. All the time. Wow. I was kind of like, wow, that's dated. <laughs> that's, <And laughs> that's heavy. immediately dated. <laughs> and heavy lopsided <laughs> suits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're carrying a gun. I see him. <laughs> Is that a roll of quarters in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> so, so I've police yeah. vintage police thriller next. <laughs> Do you know? Totally listened to loads of crime, and <laughs> I went down to Listowel Writers Week with a crime writer friend of mine, Andrea Mara, and we went down for uh, a holiday, kind of. And because mm-hmm. uh, I was with her, we ended up going to all the crime stuff, <laughs> which is great. And I was like, oh, I must try and figure out how to fit Nell Murder into a children's <laughs> book. Mm-hmm. But uh, but if you're going to grow with your readers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do a J.K. Rowling on it now, you know. Well, one of my favourite children's authors, I guess he's a children's author, he's very dark, is a guy called Edward Gorey. Gorey, as in Gorey down Wexford, but he was mm. um, from Boston, I think. Oh. Um, and he wrote all these all these really dark, kind of twisted and illustrated, wrote and illustrated these stories, very unusual. But he has an, an alphabet book. And every page, so every letter, a child dies. So I'm like, if he can get away with that, like A is for Amy, who fell down the stairs. B is for Basil, assaulted by bears. And it rhymes? (laughs) Yes, the whole thing. It's amazing. It's called the Gashley Crumb Tinies. And uh, they all die, like run through with alls. They drink lye by mistake. There's all these kind of really weird things. But I'm like, if yeah, I'd kind of like to go there. (laughs) But children do respond to that really dark Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. And I suppose that's one of the reasons Roald Dahl has been so enduringly yeah. popular. Because yeah. they're all little psychopaths. <laughs> I think it's really important because... The, the, I, every single one of them. They the, are. the trick is to keep your uh, objectionable dating opinions off the page. That's how Roald Dahl has, has done so much better than Ian Blyton in some ways. Ah, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so Roald Dahl hid the racism and that makes it fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> just remember, as long as you don't say it, you can get away, <laughs> get away with anything. Things. Oh God! No, no, no! You can't. Don't think no, bad things. No, no. Yeah, let's not. Let's not. John, do please, Roald Dahl, please. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, Roald Dahl was a terrible person. Has nobody heard this? He's, yeah. He's absolutely. I still love his books. I absolutely adore. Don't do it to me, Dara. Don't. It's not me. It's Potter. It's me. Sorry. <laughs> I would. Uh, I would still read. Um, was it Revolting Rhymes? Uh-huh. I, just yeah. super, and the other one. And again, he had a great relationship with a with an illustrator, Quentin Blake, mm-hmm. who just yeah. gave it that iconic look, yes. that, that Roald Dahl book look. which and is just David Williams still. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. He uses him as well. Well, he uses yeah. Tony Ross as well. But. Yeah, that does upset me a little bit because I, it's, so, it's so funny how sometimes you come to associate an illustrator with, with an author like... Like when I see books in a shop now with Quinton Blake illustrated, like you immediately know it's Quinton Blake. Yeah. Or when I was a child, when I was like a teenager, I used to, or well, a you know, young uh, child slash teenager, I used to read a lot of uh, Jacqueline Wilson, who would always use Nick Sharrett. Mm. Um, so anytime I see those illustrations, I'm like, oh, it's one of those books. And then it's not. And I'm like, oh, who is this imposter? I know. <laughs> Stop I trying s- to be rolled out. <laughs> I suppose, though, like Quentin Blake didn't die. He used to still earn yeah, money and live. <laughs> No, so Quentin, it's penury for you. <laughs> the breadline for you, Live I'm afraid. Royalties. <laughs> like Smithers being buried with Mr. Burns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it does the it does the, the the Quentin Blake illustrations do imply that Williams is the heir to Roldell and He isn't his hoop. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've only realized that David Williams is the celebrity author we were talking about earlier on. Sorry. Sort of, like, there's several, but yeah. Yeah, but well, yeah, <laughs> he's 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 used some really unhelpful ableist language. I mean, which it would have been which would have been bad enough 20, 30 years ago when you could say Asher back then, you know, anything went. Mm. Whereas <laughs> but whereas now, I mean, it's, you know, it's like He should like, do better. He just should do better like. Yeah, I mean, he should do better. Well, mm. I think so. It certainly, you know, it's like we didn't my when I went to friends' houses, one of the things I noticed my other my other friends had Enid Blyton books. We had no Enid Blyton in our house. Has um, obviously the dad put the foot down. Okay. Mm. Um Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, no, there, 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 <laughs> no. There were other there were other English authors were 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 fine. Well, but this Enid Blyton had a very specific worldview. Yes. Uh, which was expressed, and the fact that the, the books were, were 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 advocating and celebrating, and you know, a particular worldview between the the Gollywog problem mm. and then the other issues in the Famous Five, and that, that kind of particular view of history, and yeah. which I read Secret Seven books. That was the only Enid Blyton stuff I read, and and yeah, the assorted stories. There was no Noddy in my house. I think you, largely because it was kind of even by the mid eighties. Mm. It's a bit like oh, no, we can't. Mm can't really jive with that like that's not cool you know mm-hmm. but I, I I don't know I mean if you're a children's author and, and you are a children's author so answer <laughs> me this if it, if it gets to the stage where somebody's saying you know maybe that entire concept that you're writing about is a little bit problematic you sort of have to go oh hang on a second I should rethink this whole yeah, thing oh absolutely and you take on board and, and you know that's the nice thing about working in children's books and working in books in general I'm mm-hmm. sure you've found the same Derek it's not just me do you know I may have come up with the written the story but like there's the illustrators the publishers there's the editors there's designers yeah. there's a lot of people it's a real team effort and I think at some point if there is something problematic people are going to go 
here that's not working like or that's you know that's not right or yeah. some you're, you're, or else it just won't get picked up <laughs> if it's, it's even a- slightly <laughs> there are actually loads of issues like in um, there's safety issues and stuff in books that you can't depict a child say in a dangerous situation that a ch- another child might mimic yes. so for example there's okay. like a page in one of my books where the child is making an invention and in the first iteration of the illustration she was teetering on a little kind of footstool ladder kind of thing as she was reaching to do something and it was like, well, that's not safe, actually. And, and now she has a very safe, in the final illustration, there's a very safe thing that she's standing on. So it's, it, there's so many different things that you just wouldn't even think of this, until everybody looks at it and goes, actually, that looks a bit dangerous. And there's an episode whatever. of Peppa Pig that doesn't get shown in Australia because there's an episode which has, oh, don't be afraid. If it's only a spider, a spider's not going to hurt you. Yes. All right. All right. That spider's going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Peppa, mate. <Yeah>. Peppa. <laughs> don't. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Skinny Legs. <laughs> yeah, so it's, and there's a, there's a, there was a Volkswagen commercial years ago. It was absolutely brilliant. It was a hilarious one. It was about this little girl. Uh, it was going around saying bollocks and everywhere she went she was just saying bollocks and she kept saying bollocks and in one scene she's reaching up to get a biscuit out of the biscuit jar and it all falls down and she goes bollocks and the punchline is her dad drives a Volkswagen Golf and he keeps forgetting that it's a diesel and he keeps putting petrol in because it performs so well it feels like a petrol car and all she sees she's in the car seat uh, in the back and uh, he puts petrol in and he goes oh bollocks and <laughs> that's where she learned it but it was pulled from uh, UK television not because of the bad language but because in the scene where she's reaching for the cookie jar she's reaching over her head okay. and that shows a child doing something that's unsafe so it wasn't allowed oh, to be um, broadcast which is hilarious. Oh I love that And we're right back to children mimicking their parents <laughs> the guilt associated <laughs> This is and Saiji, so you, you wrote an article about this. You wrote, you wrote an article about a child using swear words. I did, yes. So, and you know, she's the most, like, if there ever one escapes our lips at home, she is like the police now. Mm. So she went through a phase, though, of, of using the F word and, like, been really into it. I think she just loved the sound of it and the shape of it in her mouth. It's, she it's just, pretty great. <laughs> she it was is like, pretty great. She loved it and she was saying it loads but it was just sort of not appropriate for whatever. I think she was like three or four. It's just not a good look <laughs> for that age. So we were trying to encourage her to not because she had used it in, in Nina and the teacher was a bit like oh. eh, would you have a word with her and I was like oh god the shame she was, so, she was just trying to say fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, but yeah so our approach was to to let her say it uh, more so uh, which seems counterproductive I'm sure Nina loved that yeah but we were like the, the prohibition wasn't working it was we all know it doesn't so <laughs> we kept saying oh don't say it and it would just make her want to say it more and she was getting really kind of frustrated and that would just make her want to say it more so we would let her say it but she wasn't allowed to say it about anybody or to anybody um, so she would kind of go off into a corner and go <laughs> and then if she felt it coming like she was getting really like, this upset. isn't the visual medium when you tell everyone so I've covered her mouth <laughs> nobody can even lip read the fuck <laughs> through the airwaves but uh, yeah so it let her get it out of her system and uh, then she'd come back all calm and be like okay I did it I've said it and then she kind of she got it it just stopped after a while and now like if we're listening to podcasts and stuff or list, you know anything because that's where you hear them all the bad language and, <laughs> well especially her dad listens to a lot of comedy American kind of comedians and stuff 
on podcasts and there's a lot of language, let's mm. say, and she gives out to us all the time. She's like, you can't listen to that. Stop listening to that. That's terrible language. So she's actually like fully come around the other way. It's quite funny. But yeah, she's just filthy now. Like, I think this will just like signify like how much I don't have children, but like I love teaching children swear words. <laughs> Do not leave me alone with your child because I will create a time bomb for it to like, and hopefully it will go off like in Nina or like in the middle of shopping centre <laughs> so before we wrap up um, we like to ask our guests what their favourite Irish word is oh god I forgot about that um, yeah so <laughs> this again probably shows it's talking about Edward Gorey and stuff like that I always as a child my favourite Irish word was luffa which is a weird one, I know, mm-hmm. but I just loved the sound of it. Again, like my daughter yeah. with the F word, the, the shape of it in your mouth, luffa. I just, I always loved saying that. And I always felt like it didn't really match what it means, which mm-hmm. is rotten. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I've just always it's liked that really, word. It's really, really apt <laughs> for like, you know, dorty. Dorty, yeah. Oh, luffa. luffa. <laughs> luffa. Even, even more than salach. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. It's definitely salach. Yeah. Salach, luffa, luffa, I think. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, an unusual choice, maybe. That's a great choice. <laughs> we'll go with that. So, and before we finish up, we want to tell, remind remind our listeners what your books are called and where they can get them. Yeah, so um, Be Exprilum and Björg Biedach, available from, directly from footofata.ie.com, maybe. Um, and from all good bookshops and libraries. And if people want to find out more about you and the work you're doing outside of your children's books? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Where Wishes. Thanks very much for joining us today, Sive. So until the next time, it's a slant from me. It's a slant from me. One more time. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. You, you go Sorry. first, Garaging. Okay, do you want to go first? It's a slant from me. It's a slant from me. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's Dara, Derek, Pader, Garaging, Sive. Okay, yeah, so, okay, got it. Until the next time, it's a slant from me. Slant from me. Slant from me. And a slant from me. Catch you next time. So, Sive, you have a bit of news for us. I do. Very exciting news. So, um, I'm going to be the next writer in residence in DLR Lexicon. Oh. Which is this huge, amazing library in Dunleary. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited. I start like next week. <laughs> this is a fantastic, this is a fantastic opportunity. Um, was, was Sarah Griffin there before? Yeah, she's just coming up to the end of her tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Webb, I think was before her. And it's absolutely huge. Um, I don't they I don't think they've had an Irish language author before. So that's really nice. And it's just a massive endorsement, if you know what I mean. Like and it's, three men in a row. I know, yeah. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, exactly. So yeah. Wonderful, so... Miracle gorgeous and I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful year thank you very much for listening to today's episode Motherfucker comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network if you can't wait that long for your next podcast fix there are some other shows coming out on Headstuff which you might enjoy for example you might like What Am Politics if you want to contact the show you can email us at motherfuckloreheadstuff.org or you can hit us up at our various Twitter handles we're not hard to find there's the Irish Four and there's Motherfuckler both on Twitter Thank you very much to Kirsten Shield for doing the art. Thank you to Brian for producing. And thank you to the backroom team at Headstuff for all the work they do. Until the next time, Slangafall. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Uh.
Watch out. Hey, Sarah.